0: Discussing sweet valley twins number 54 the big party weekend i'm raven and i'm the most wildly inappropriate babysitter since michael jackson i'm here with my not so evil triplets wing and dove
1: i'm wing and i would never ever ever throw a secret party and blame things on my siblings and babysitter and drive them away never i would never do that
2: I'm Dove, and I am child-free, I dislike children, and I'm still a better parent than Neda or Alice.
0: In today's edition of Cataclysmically Bad Parenting, the elder Wakefields are planning a drug-addled sexcapade through Mexico. While the cats are away, the mice will throw a party, with all three Wakefield siblings inviting friends to what promises to be the shindig of the century. The problem? A babysitting battle axe called May Brown. Showing as much aptitude for babysitting as a frog would for snowboarding, May Brown piles on ridiculous rule after ridiculous rule. No snacks, bed by nine, one hour of television per day. Naturally, our three insipid heroes do not take kindly to such draconian diktats and concoct a foolproof plan to get May out of the house in fine time before their party. This plan does not involve the murder, mutilation, and the McCandy backyard, much to Jessica's dismay. May is lured out of the Wakefield compound on a wild goose chase, searching for an apparent runaway Stephen. Sadly, his running away as naught was a ruse, which I for one found particularly distressing. In the babysitter's absence, the party goes ahead as planned, until it becomes what passes for far too rowdy in Sweet Valley, where, I don't know, someone treads a potato chip into the shagpile pile garbage or something. May eventually returns and is furious. The party fizzles, the twins apologise, and everyone is a fucking superstar. Throw in a old antique rose, a truly terrible new boyfriend for Amy, and Jessica questing for yet another first kiss from Aaron, and we have all the makings for a fantastically average book.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: that's great. I think this might be a Grapplegate book.
1: Really? Wait, what? We're gone back that far? Holy shit. Yes, <laughs> hello everyone. It has been a while.
0: I think the last time we recorded something was in 2018, which is three and a half years ago so we apologize for the the gap um we've been busy i don't know well what can we say
1: i'm also going to apologize for forgetting out of podcast so i'm sure you'll just love this episode kids (laughs) it'll be great
2: well you know march of 2020 went on for four years so that's a thing That's fair. That just
0: makes it even worse, though, surely. It's (laughs) like, what was three and a half years is now seven and a half years.
1: (laughs) Well, to be fair, I do like that meme that was like, I've lived in so many decades, you know, the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. Yeah, March. (laughs) 20, March. (laughs) So we've got anywhere from three years to, you know, a lifetime between recordings, depending on how you're counting.
0: That's true. We've gone between we've gone from three three normal years of, of missed missed recordings to three normal years and one year of entirely existential dread
2: <laughs> that we
0: couldn't get it, we couldn't escape from. Excellent. So, what did everyone think about this book? If we can cast our minds back to the heady pre pandemic days when we read it.
1: Uh, that would be July of twenty eighteen, listeners. That that's how long ago it was since this recap. So yeah. We were all so young and innocent back
2: then. <laughs> well, uh, I actually read this when I was like 12 or 13, so, um, you know, I actually have nostalgic feels for this.
1: That's good. Obviously, I did not, having never read any of them ever. So I feel like I disliked this more when I read it back then, and now I am less annoyed with it. Uh, that is
0: exactly my my um, thoughts on it as well.
2: I think context is everything. I feel like the Nightmare Mansion has set a new low, and anything that isn't that is A plus material.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say that. Spoilers, sir, for listeners. Well, just hopefully you'll sort of know where we're up to with our recaps, and we're on book one hundred and X, shall we say? So this is a full what fifty odd books further on from from where we are now, and a lot of those, shall we say, have done wonders to drag the bell curve of uh the bell curve of uh opportunity down and it's there's been some bad books there's been some very bad books as the series has progressed so looking back at this one now i think at the time i enjoyed it when i read it didn't enjoy it so much when i recapped it but now we're podcasting it i think i probably would have enjoyed it a bit more
1: i do think it's the context a lot both in the fact that everything, at least for me, everything's a little bit less enjoyable right now because of what's going on around us. But also, yeah, there have been several years worth of much, much worse in the books. And especially lately, I haven't liked most of the books we've done. So while I found this boring before, uh, now I'm just like, "Eh, it could be so much worse, especially when it comes to Steven being involved with things. But also, the recaps are always, I always enjoy your guys recaps more than i enjoy the books themselves so i know that that's kind of colored it too if we've already done the recap and and then at this point since we're so far away gone back to the recap i'm always more positive towards the books because you guys even when you hate the books and and it's all anger and snark it, the recap makes me like the books better than reading them does <laughs> always
2: well my feeling like looking back on it now because as everyone says two years worth of books. Um, is that at least something is happening, you know? Yes,
1: that, yeah. Mm, yeah, I, yeah. I
2: mean, at the time we're recording this, we have just uh written recaps for Pumpkin Fever and Sisters at War and the other one about arguing. And Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. even I <laughs> can't remember.
0: Blimey, whoever, whoever came up with that title was dialing in. Maybe they went on to title all the Friends episodes. They've all been dialing in anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but it's so nice to have a story that isn't set around the Wakefield's dining table. No, you're right. Hmm. Stuff happens. The Wakefields fuck off to Mexico. And, you know, Jessica wants to throw a party. Stephen wants to throw a party. Elizabeth wants to be a saint and do nothing wrong ever and you're like yay things are happening it's not another book about how the twins can't get along for some
1: binary reason right and it's like it's not like these books ever had really in-depth plots though i I guess occasionally some of the special editions or mysteries or whatever any of those sometimes those are more a little bit more complex plots but it's not like the books ever had really complex plots but it does feel like in looking back at this there's action and it's not like the more recent books are just sitting around and talking but it's more like there's a paragraph worth of plot that's spread out over the entirety of the book even a paragraph worth of plot that covers all of the plot lines even if you have a b c d whatever whereas in this there's at least it's a story there's at least an outline of a story here and things happen in that story and even if they glossed over a lot of the actual repercussions so this one doesn't as bad as i thought i remembered in the later books it's there is no plot it's just they don't like each other and then that's repeated for however many pages
2: i liked uh the fact that you know the antique rose that gets sold at the garage sale That is actually mentioned in the sagas and um, it does actually go back to it belonged to Alice Larson who Alice Wakefield is named after and also the rose was mentioned in The Magic Christmas uh, where Jessica gave Elizabeth a pin that looked like it because it was so important to the family and it's just like, look continuity what's that doing here?
0: Um, I I think that For all the talk of the fact that this doesn't, the the later books don't do anything, I think that's a little bit unfair because there are plenty of books that have done things just not very well to a certain extent. For example, I mean, there's books in which everybody in Sweet Valley goes on a boat and then ends up on a desert island. That's Um, fair. even, Even the Nightmare Mansion books, which were awful, awful, awful books, but at least they had. They they were they were apart. They were the twins are babysitting at a spooky place, and there is a there is a story. It wasn't a story that was four books worth of stuff, but there was an actual story. And if you look back at some of the earlier books, I'm going to mention Ithig for example. <laughs> that Shocking. was very much. This is a tiny paragraph of plot that we're just going to spread thinly like margarine over this book. So. I think throughout the run, there have been books that are nothing but talking heads and arguing. But throughout the run, there have also been books which are, at their core, there is a story.
1: That's true. I do think, again, my perspective of this is being coloured by the last couple books we've recapped in... 2021 haven't really felt like there's been a ton of plot to them but you are right there were things that were happening whether the story was told well or not there have been books where things happen in you talking about how there is a plot in this one it did insert mm, and dove talking about how the And Dove talking about the rose and it being accidentally sold. That did remind me that when I read this, this was the first time I'd read a Sweet Valley book that I, as I was reading it, I was sitting there thinking, I've read this before. So I don't know if there's another book that has almost this exact plot. Like, I know there are definitely books where babysitter comes, kids have a party, they trick her out of the house and or something accidentally gets sold at a yard sale. But everything about this felt so familiar, and I cannot figure out why, and I still can't figure out why. So it's, at least in that way, it is a story that, it is a story, even if it's one that felt like something that had already been done beat for beat. So I did find that strange, because I hadn't ever read a Sweet Valley book before we started. Don't
2: tell mum the babysitter's dead came out around the same time, so they may have wanted to do fanfic of that. With Raven uh, Raven bringing up uh, the Nightmare Mansion series, does anyone find it a little bit strange that the Wakefields needed to leave their kids with a babysitter? But then, like, 50 books later, they not only didn't care that their kids were staying in a house overnight, they didn't even know where the house was. They didn't know the fam. They never met the family that was working for them. They didn't even know the name of the family. They didn't know the, the address. And also their kids were responsible for other kids. And Stephen was terrorising them. It's like excellent, consistent parenting.
0: And also to continue that little um, thing on. And when Alice did find out what house it was, and she knew it was exactly the house of her horror from when she was a kid, she didn't go, kids, pack your bags, we're going home. You're never going there again. She was just like, okay, that's fine. and You know what I mean? Just, Just awful.
2: Yeah, you kids can go in that house, but not me. Mm. But I suppose we should talk about this book. And uh, something I noticed on the reread was that May Brown, Babysitter Extraordinaire, was uh, recommended by the Morris family. And we didn't pick up on this in the recap, and we should have. The Morris family, presumably, are Patrick's parents. Yeah. A family that is so good at parenting Patrick's book was all about him running away. <laughs> what a
1: banging recommendation that is.
0: Yeah, in that case, thats I think that's entirely in keeping. That's actually continuity, I guess.
1: <laughs> but wait, doesn't she, and I'm going to go swing back through the recap to see if we mentioned it, didn't uh, she, the babysitter, talk about how she hadn't babysat for older kids in a long time? Oh, well, and that's been- fine babysitting for little ones so why in the world are the morrisons recommending her surely she has either she's babysat for them recently and she's lying about not having experience with preteens or she babysat for them 10 years ago and has no earlier references no it's all right recent
2: because in the book that raven is recapping right now uh what's it called the boyfriend game the boyfriend game Yeah, Patrick all of a sudden has younger brothers and sisters that he never had up until that point. So I guess they exist now, but they
1: didn't when he ran away. So that's nice. You know what? I still have questions, but I'm going to let it go. (laughs) I'm going to say Sweet Valley Logic and let that go. Yeah,
0: that's about right. That's about right.
2: The other day I was explaining um, wrestling to a non-wrestling fan and I used the whole... um, Lacey Evans turned evil because she lost a karaoke contest and then she attacked Charlotte Flair who wasn't who she lost the contest to and then she got pregnant by Charlotte Flair's dad and I said wrestling means never having to say no seriously and I feel like Sweet Valley is probably in the same arena
1: uh so one of the things that kind of drives this uh jessica side part of why she wants to have this party so badly i mean a obviously to show off her popularity and the unicorns and all that but she wants her first kiss with aaron at this point how many first kisses have she already had to
2: be fair this will be her first first kiss with aaron it's not her first kiss Is because really? josh angler's already kissed her but we are going right. to... Right,
1: is this her first Aaron this, kiss? Yeah. Okay.
2: They've only been together like a couple of uh, books.
1: Okay, but a couple of books could cover, you know, a week and it could cover 13 years. So it doesn't... That means nothing. We've had like 10 Christmases. Does it actually state that this is her
0: first kiss with Aaron that she's gone? Is that something that is very much stated or is it is it presented as this is her first kiss? I can't remember. For it is reason.
2: presented... As if this is her first kiss. Um, Can someone look up whether The Slime That Ate Sweet Valley comes before
1: or after this? I think it comes before this. Part. I thought
2: it was the one before it because in The Slime That Ate Sweet Valley, Jessica didn't want her, quotes, first kiss to happen on stage. And she on yes. the Josh Angler thing uh, with, yeah, with her own internal yeah. logic, which was that Josh kissed her. And she accepted the kiss, but she didn't kiss back. And so her first kiss is going to be one where she is like an active participant rather than someone it just happens to. But it it, it is actually specified in the Slime that ate Sweet Valley that she doesn't count the Josh one anymore because she didn't kiss back.
1: You know what? For all that we make fun of uh, double dipping plots and stuff like that, that's actually very realistic jessica logic (laughs) like i absolutely could see her be like nope that wasn't my first kiss i want a different first kiss is that the only first kiss that she's had
0: before this book
2: unless she kissed someone in the specials yes i mean i don't think she did i think her late her the rest of her first kisses sort of like happen in the specials
0: and what what happens in the specials? Stay in the specials. Obviously. Yeah, pretty well
2: Because I mean, there is actually a special one called Jessica's first kiss, which is obvious bollocks. That when was that? Was that that's much it later? Is, it was. It was like a, this Yeah, year. it was only yeah. a couple of months ago. Yeah. But um, yeah. You know, by the time we get to that, she's kissed Rick Hunter in the middle school. Gets married. Um, she's kissed. I don't know. Someone else. Oh, she's kissed uh, Bruce Patman in The Great Boyfriend Switch.
0: How many Peters has she kissed? None.
2: (laughs) Those are for Mary and Mandy. Like, unless you've got an M name,
1: Ah. you can't kiss a Peter. How do you just know all this? Like, not only how many kisses, but you can tell us where they happened. This is
2: (laughs) mind-blowing. Seriously, I I read these when I was a tween and I didn't have many friends.
1: Okay, I reread The Babysitter's Club a billion times, including as an adult, and I still could not cite what book shit happened in like that, much less this is how many first kisses she's had. That's amazing. I'm so impressed. I'm sure if you read a
2: series, and for example, Babysitter's Club, if Christy learned to drive, and then a couple of books later, she didn't have her driving license, and she passed her test again, and then a couple of books later, she passed her driving test again, you would start getting pissed off and be like, how many fucking times is christy gonna pass her test i know she's only 12 it's a bad example but just
1: no it's a great example but at the same time it is a great example because yes i would remember we've had her take her test 10 times but i would not be able to tell you oh well she took it this time with this person in this book no i would i no, i could not tell you that so i am so impressed by how your brain works
0: i think this also goes into the um into what we've been discussing about the double dipping plots in the, the book that I'm recapping, recapping at the moment, um, which is the Great Boy, uh, no, is the the Boyfriend Game, um, it is a lead up to a Valentine's Day dance, and as part of the recap, I've worked out and went back and revisited, and worked out that this is the fourth Valentine's Day that they've had since the beginning of series they're they're the series. And you
2: guys thought I was mad for the tagging system that I demanded. <laughs> no. i did not i just thought it was
1: complicated
0: and what we were saying before is that we think that the books later on have got a um worse and worse because they are just double dipping the plots and using the same stuff as we've had but in a way that is not that is the fault of the book series as a whole not necessarily the strength of the books that have come later because the first time we read for example a valentine's day thing we're like oh cool it's valentine's day By the time we read the fourth one, we're like, fucking hell, it's Valentine's Day every week in this place. Whereas the fourth book could be a demonstrably better book than the first Valentine's book, but we've just seen it so many times before.
1: That's a good point.
0: So so when we are saying, oh, this is just another book about Jessica and, and Liz arguing, or this is another new girl book, and it's like, yeah, it is, and we are jaded because we've read them all. But it's not necessarily the later books that are worse than the first books in that.
2: I don't think this series is designed, and likewise, all of the spin-offs. I don't think you're supposed to read all the books. Like, it is literally designed that you buy about 18, and you buy them on whatever plot you want, and then you grow out of it, and no one ever finds out, and then... You know, you've got the likes of us and Double Love Podcast and all of us who have just like read every single book and have 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 become very intense about the subject.
1: Well, that is kind of the structure of this type of series. Obviously it's not just the Sweet Valley at all various levels, from kids on up through whatever Sweet Life. Uh this sort of especially in the eighties and nineties, this sort of series books where it was monthly publications and everything, they're not meant to age with the readers like maybe current YA series sometimes do you're meant to age into and then out of the books again and they just keep going so you're right you can pick up any one book and you should be able to read it without having read anything else even though you'll get more nuances theoretically if you've read the rest of the series so even that kind of flawed telling where you have the sweet Valley time or the babysitter's club time or whatever where you have 10 valentine's days that's not even at that point the fault of the writer's uh any specific writer or pascal herself that's just the structure of this sort of series yeah. but when you have been reading them and recapping them for years you're right we are not only coming to it as adults we're coming to it as people who have read every single book in sweet valley twins and have been doing it more or less uh weekly for several years now even with some breaks And even though we don't technically do one every week because we have that that fourth week off uh so yeah we're coming at it from a place where we're not necessarily supposed to notice these things not because kids don't necessarily notice but because we're not meant to have been reading all 54 plus or at this point you know 100 plus books and paying attention to them the way that we obviously do as recappers and podcasters so in a lot of ways what we bring to it what we bring to it as adults and what we bring to it in just the act of what we're doing we do look at them in a way that would show more of the flaws Uh, But that doesn't make it less frustrating. So I could see both sides on that. Actually,
2: while we're talking about how many books we've read, I would like to reveal something. We are very, very close to the end of the series. And so I've decided that you two need to pass a quiz in order to graduate from Sweet Valley Twins. So when we get to the end, I will be assigning you to a quiz. So if we fail, if we fail this quiz, have we got
0: to read all the books again? Yes. Because fuck that
1: noise. <laughs> well, listeners, it's been wonderful with you, but I'm never passing this quiz, and so I will not be moving on with the rest of the class. <laughs> to be
2: fair, this is a great get-out clause. If, if like, if you've been listening to like all the people who comment, just going, Wing and Raven are gonna
1: hate Sweet Valley High. I'm giving oh, you an yeah. out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm clearly not going to give up. But also, yes, I so appreciate how everyone is just determined to keep telling us how much we're going to hate it. <laughs> There's no way to go into it uninfluenced at this point. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Okay, shall we bring it back to the book? Yeah, yes, I was just I thinking could.
2: that.
1: <laughs> One thing I thought was strange, like within without trying to compare it to other books within the book itself, this idea that they keep bringing the high schoolers and the middle schoolers together. Like both, obviously the twins and then Steven, they want to have two separate parties here. They both sets want to have a party, but they decide to combine it because, uh, you know, high school boys will make it cooler from Jessica's perspective. And obviously we've seen the high school boys, you know, wanting to hook up with the middle schoolers. So I guess from their perspective, it just adds more potential hookups, but it's such a weird concept to me to have these, Sixth graders and freshmen, plus hanging out together. That's it's not a ton of years separating them, but it's enough that it's weird that this continues to be something that's normalized in these books. Uh, it is odd that
0: I mean it. It sounds to me, or you know, it it feels to me, that it was set up by, more through necessity than anything else. In that the house is empty, we mm-hmm. all want a party. Whereas if the Elder Wakefields were there, that kind of party would be something that they'd force on both sets of twin, both sets of mm. uh, siblings. They would say, no, sorry, Jessica, but Stephen is going to have some of his friends at this party, and vice versa to Stephen. And they'd be like, oh, but mum, Stephen's a dickhead, or, or whatever. But because it's a clandestine, apart, a clandestine affair, I think it sort of works within the framework that we've been presented of the dynamics within the family.
2: I went to a party that took place under very similar circumstances, like mum was out of town, the house was empty. And I was about... to so a drug-addled sexcapade into Mexico? <laughs> no, she wasn't the type. I think it was one of those boring work conferences where you make oh, bridges out of loo rolls and, you know, yeah, you go yeah, around the there. circle going, Hi, my name is Susan, and today I learned that I'm best friends with all of you you know creepy shit um (laughs) yeah but i was 14 at the time and their much older brother who was at university or just about to go to university also wanted a party so we had this very awkward setup where there was about 12 14 year olds and three 20 year olds at the party and it was it was weird and it was also... That's some
0: so, yew tree shit going on there.
2: It, <laughs> yeah, it actually was because, like, apparently one of them start, wanted to date one of my friends and he was like, yeah, I, I'll Eesh. wait until you're 16 so I don't get arrested. And we, being idiots and not fully understanding the situa- situation, just went, oh, how romantic. Yeah. He'll yeah, wait for you. That. It's like, no, that's that's hideous. But
1: <laughs> It's horrifying.
2: <laughs> you know, even socially it was weird because, like, We were 14 and we thought we were super mature, much the way, you know, Jessica does. But also, if there are three 20-year-olds outside having a cigarette and you go out for a cigarette, it is really intimidating. You can't go and join them. In fact, you just go, actually, I didn't want a cigarette and go back inside.
1: (laughs) I'll wait till they're done. Yeah,
2: I want to smoke with other (laughs) 14-year-olds.
1: So... uh... I always keep trying to age them up in my head, just because of how long we've gone. The twins are still technically twelve, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, and Stephen's what? Fifteen? Fourteen? Fourteen. Oh, two, two years so it's like apart. Two
2: years. Okay. So he's basically the same age as Janet Howell, because as Oh God, why is always going on about uh, they're the wrong age for sixth grade? They should be eleven, shouldn't they, rather than twelve, yeah. based on when their birthday is, because. Oh God, Why is very intense about this. Just ask her about it on Twitter and 50 messages will pop up. It's <laughs> intense. It's cool. Can I ask a question? This might
0: be my memory, just playing tricks. And Have we had a book when well, it's the twins' birthday? We haven't,
2: no. Uh, but they remed- apparently they remedy that in Sweet Valley High. They have a lot of birthdays that year. Okay. Um, but <laughs> I-,
0: I say, yeah. They're saving up all the birthdays now. And then in the next series, they're going <laughs> to go from like, 14 to 28 in the space of three books. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> about right. Actually, we really we haven't, haven't had
2: any birthdays. We no, haven't. Was
0: so no. Uh, we haven't had Stephen's birthday either, have we?
2: No. Obviously, the twins are Gemini's. Uh, you can Google when their birthday is. It it is publicly Duh. available. But of no, when is the is. birthday? I think it's June the 6th, but I could be making that up. Again, I can't okay. Google.
1: I'll look it up. Hold on. Or don't hold on. Just continue. But I'll look it up.
2: Yeah. But I was thinking about that. It is weird that we've had like 67 Christmases and 58 yeah. Halloween, four and...
0: Valentine's Days. and Yeah. Yeah. 16 Mr. Nydick's parole hearings.
1: <laughs> That's true. Uh,
2: so when is it, Wing?
1: Uh, the 13th of June. 13th apparently. of June.
2: Yeah, but then again, we don't have many summer books. I mean, that's uh, true. I mean, they would still be at school then, or do they? Does
1: no, no? Yeah, they would. They would definitely not be in school then.
2: Oh, okay, because our schools break up around the twenty fifth of July. I know this because it's like a few days before my birthday. But we, I mean,
0: we we do have some summer books. They've been on camp and stuff like that. I know but I
1: always feel like that's kind of later too, like later in the summer. I mean, okay. not later in the series. Yeah, but I mean, I do wonder. Uh, I don't remember there being a ton of birthday books for the actual babysitters from the Babysitters Club either, except for the fact when they do, they do age from twelve to thirteen, uh, fairly early on. And even though you could have, you know, 10 Christmases, I like how 10 my go-to number here, 10 Christmases, it's a little bit harder to have 10 birthdays. So maybe they intentionally don't touch on that.
2: Sophia Rizzo has two birthdays. Uh, she has one when she joins the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's blown away that she has friends and, you know, they don't hate her because, you know, she's poor and, yeah. you know, not fully American. The fuck? Um, oh, what the fuck? And then she has another one. Uh, they go to her birthday party. So Sophia is conceivably the same age as Stephen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so back to why I was asking. So actually, two years doesn't make it quite as weird as I've been picturing. No. For some reason, I keep thinking it's three years, maybe even a little bit more. But no, that's not terrible. Stephen does seem a little bit young. Well, I don't know. Yeah, well,
0: Stephen's right. Steven, a very uh, immature y- character anyway, so...
1: Uh, but so, yeah, two years separation makes it a little less weird to me, um, though not that much less weird.
2: <laughs> on the other side of that, um, in in later books, and sorry to keep going off on other books, but you can't help <laughs> it when they're all the same story. In Big for Christmas, one of the reasons that the twins can't go to the Howells joint Christmas party, which has the middle schoolers and the uh, and the high schoolers, is because Joe and Stephen have invited people on the basketball team or whichever sports ball they're into. Right. And that will be all years. So there will be 14 to 18-year-olds there as well as 12 to 14-year-olds. So did Stephen not invite the basketball team? Because it doesn't actually say. It just says a few friends. I don't think we even get Joe Howell name-dropped. Like none of his friends – Are there except for some cute girl who points out that things are getting rowdy and she's gonna leave? Mm -hmm.
1: You're right. Like, we definitely get older people there, but not necessarily because Stephen invited them. It's because they're just crashing it. Uh, Actually, that made me think do we see more of Joe as the series continues? Because it's starting to feel like we do, but that may just be. I can think off the top of my head the recent books we he has had some plots in. So maybe we aren't seeing him just overall more often, but it feels like we have been. I think Stephen
2: is getting more screen time and that's ah, where it comes okay. from because he's Stephen's friend. Because I don't remember Stephen being this present in the early books. Like basically Stephen's job in the first 50 books was to walk into the kitchen, devour what was ever in the fridge and say something really irritating like, <laughs> You're so immature because this, or, oh, I just heard this gossip that's going to generate the plot, or, and then he just fucks off. Whereas now he's sort of like getting all the B plots, and this is probably why I've started to hate him so much. I think that
0: could also be a consequence of just the series getting long in the tooth. Yeah. In that, In that they are actually, a lot of the books later on do concentrate on some of the more peripheral characters. Yeah. Um, so you'll have more books about Lila. Yay! You'll have books about Amy. You'll have books about I mean, even Cami Adams. or whatever, whatever. There's, there's plenty of those. Janet Howell um, is is doing more at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's And I true. like that because
0: I think she's a good, a good character.
1: Oh, she's terrible! Um, I love her. <laughs>
0: um, so, so so as things go on, um, Stephen does get more screen time for that, but I still think that the amount of screen screen time he's getting is too much. Mm. It's still a case of I understand why they're doing that, but dialing it back a bit—he's a prick.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, the American release—I don't know whether it started as Sweet Valley Twins, but it becomes Sweet Valley Twins and Friends, like it's on the mm. covers. You know, oh, the squares. Yeah. That's, that's a lot yeah, of good it does, Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, and it, it looks very much like, say, the first thirty have the same look as the British covers, which is just Sweet Valley Twins on the badge but when they go to the square covers with the with the full artwork which i'm jealous of it's sweet valley twins and friends on a completely different logo so Mm. no that's fair you know i think they they did acknowledge that they were you know there's only so many adventures elizabeth and jessica can go on
1: because there
2: are books where you know the twins have almost nothing to do right like poor lila yeah, is mostly about lila and melissa and elizabeth is just a right. peripheral and that's great
1: it's interesting that they went from sweet valley high to sweet valley twins anyway they already had this much broader focus or at least the potential to have a broader focus i don't know how much broader the focus is but based on just what people have said i assume there's characters that aren't the twins they have a lot of terrible things happening to them so there's focus there but to go from something that's as broad as high back to sweet valley twins which at least implies that they'll be the center of everything that was an interesting and kind of weird choice
0: i don't think it's weird at all i think it's marketing genius because what they've done there is they've went right we've got this entire series of sweet valley high now what we'll do is we'll create a, a leading series of sweet valley high called sweet valley twins and we'll get the kids that are a bit younger to read the Sweet Valley Twins books. So when they grew out of them, they'll go, oh, sweet. We'll go and read the Sweet Valley High books.
1: No, absolutely. I think that that makes perfect sense. Much like when they went, I think after Twins, they actually added on Kids at that point. More I meant the focus like Sweet Valley High or Sweet Valley Kids versus Sweet Valley Twins. Even Sweet Valley Twins and Friends makes more sense to me than we are going to have this whole school or this whole setting versus this is going to focus on the Twins. But obviously, even from the beginning, it didn't entirely focus on the Twins. So I just find that... Basi- Weird. though i guess there's that idea of jessica and elizabeth perfect size whatever and that they were the popular part of sweet valley high so basically your argument
2: is not the existence of it but the titling of this yes, particular yes, one I've I right. when yeah. sweet yeah. valley high yeah. explains that this is the story of what's happening at sweet valley high sweet valley kids also equally generic but sweet valley twins is just two 12 year olds
1: Exactly, it's a weird focus, yeah. especially coming from mm-hmm. a broader one. Like going to get the younger group, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That was brilliant. That's money making right there. Just like having a, the like the Unicorn Club is coming up for us. Like switching to where that's the focus, that's also brilliant. Clearly, the Unicorn Club, some of the best parts of Sweet Valley Twins. Yeah, it, it would have
2: made more sense now, though. Like if, like if I was like releasing this set now, and um, Sweet Valley High was doing well. I would totally call it Sweet Valley Twins because people would be Googling twins at Sweet Valley. A- that's and fair. And it's like, oh, there's a younger series for my niece or whatever. But yeah, back in the day, pre Google, no sense at all.
1: Well, that's not entirely true, actually. Now that you've said that, because you go and, yeah, you wouldn't have the Google search, but you go to the bookstore and are like, so-and-so loves Sweet Valley High, what can I get their sister? My youngest daughter wants to read this book. My oldest daughter is what's like it, uh, that they would still know yeah, well, I mean, they,
0: w- they wouldn't have to call it Sweet Valley Twins in that case. They could just call it Sweet Valley Anything. Uh, the right. bookstore clerk should be, oh, right, okay, here's another book book series about exactly. the same people.
1: And I honestly don't know what they call it, except for Sweet Valley Twins and Friends. like Sweet Valley Sweet Middle Valley School? Middle It doesn't really have the same ring as Sweet Valley High. And I don't know why, because logically it's the same titling, but... Sweet Valley tweens! I win!
2: (laughs) (laughs) I
0: win! No, they could have called it Sweet Valley Middle, and then they should have called kids Sweet Valley Low, because then you'd have had Low, Middle, and
2: High. (laughs) But Sweet Valley Low is Bleak Valley. (laughs)
0: That is very true. That is very true. So, at this point, I'd like to apologise to uh, long-time listeners who were actually expecting us to discuss the book that is in the title of this podcast. It's been a while, so you'll just have to bear with us. I'm sure we'll get back to actually discussing the books as we get back into our podcast chops. Uh, But there's one thing I do want to talk about about the book,
2: what did people think of Rob? Amy's boyfriend. Oh... Well, I bet he's from Big Mesa. That's all I can say about it. I bet he's from Big Mesa. Is that how I say it, Wing?
1: Sure, that sounds fine. <laughs> Big Mesa. She's lying. Yeah, that's fine. It does sound fine.
0: I thought Rob was fantastic. I in that I wanted to just hoof him in the face. I thought he was a very well well realized, complete bell end. And I felt sorry for Amy, I felt sorry for Ken. I felt sorry for Jessica when he was pocketing her CDs. Yeah, you know the whole thing, but I mean, he, he for some reason he reminded me very much of Russ from Friends. If you remember that storyline when Ross and Rachel split up and she started going out with someone called Russ, it was basically Ross. The spitting image of Ross, just a very depressed <laughs> looking version. Oh my and god! I, and I think he was actually played by uh, David Schwimmer as well. Um, oh, that's amazing. So that whole thing with with Amy saying, "Oh, I wanted to, I wanted." Uh, boyfriend that which which was it was more attentive and Ken wouldn't couldn't do that for me. So I've got onto this new guy. I thought that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that part of this book.
2: And also uh she said that now that Elizabeth has her boyfriend Todd, she was worried that Elizabeth would leave her behind so she needed to have a boyfriend so that they could double date and she could keep up. That and it's right. that's also kind of real because I think Quite a lot of people have been ditched by a best friend who is not, you know, an idiot, but kind of gets caught up in the first romance and kind of forgets that other humans exist.
1: Well, I think Raven points this out in the the recap too, but, and Amy absolutely has reason to fear that with Elizabeth because Elizabeth drops her every time a new girl shows up to be Elizabeth's (laughs) new best friend for a book. So yeah, Amy has completely valid fears here. Yeah. And I can see the, like, it's such an awkward thing dating at their age within the confines of the series, even if it wasn't in reality too. Like they constantly talk about, I don't know if they're my boyfriend or not, or are we friends, or, you know, I expect this date to go this way, and then the boys show up with other boys. and So it is always awkward in Sweet Valley Twins when they're dating. And so I can definitely see her being like, no, I want this other thing, and and Kim won't give it to me, and I need this, and then, you know, she just has terrible taste when she does this. Also, there's another continuity
2: error that Rob brings up, um, because he's slagging off someone's music taste and and he's like i like johnny gordon and the waves and elizabeth is like wow how lame is that like that's the worst band ever elizabeth has met them and interviewed them and thinks they're lovely i think patrick (laughs) might have played with them
0: oh my god yeah wow yeah and the only reason to read all the books (laughs) You've got. Nice work. <laughs>
2: the only reason I know that, like, that was not in my head. I've not been saving that up for three years. I Googled <laughs> <gave laughs> it because I thought that sounds like you know how Johnny uh Johnny Buck is Johnny Cash. I was like, Yeah, I can almost picture what that's named after, but I can't quite get it. So I figured if I just googled it
1: is your mind blown by the johnny wait yeah no let's roll back here a minute johnny buck is named after johnny cash so are you, is it just that they're p- taking the name plays off of him i think or so. is he supposed to be the johnny cash because if he's supposed to be the johnny cash or sweet valley twins motherfucking no that is wrong <laughs> not <Nah>, no <laughs> yeah. yeah as if anyone in sweet valley
2: walks the line <laughs> um, where was I, I going just... with this? Oh yeah. Um, so I actually googled it, and it brought back one of our fucking recaps. So, <laughs> and <laughs> then the next, uh, the next thing it brought up was One Breeze One, which is a live journal community that is still somehow staggering on, despite the fact that live journal sucks. Guys, if you want hosting, come to me. I'll sort it out. It's fine, love to have you. I mean, you. there's also dream uh, with, but uh... yeah um but yeah all it brought back was recaps like ours was that's brilliant proud but yeah good old elizabeth
1: (laughs) you know this kind of on a meta level makes me think so we talk a lot about continuity and lack of continuity specifically Mm. But whereas Dove has this encyclopedic knowledge of this series as we were talking about just earlier and can pull these references out, I really feel like I and Raven to a certain extent, we're really much more like the ghostwriters in that we may know these things, but we don't actually know these things. If And they probably never knew all these things. So I might have read every single book and have, obviously, uh, as far as we are up in our recaps. But clearly do not remember this shit. So I maybe should be slightly more sympathetic to the ghost writers about what are you showing me
2: uh i'm showing you the notes i made in a meeting as you can tell oh, okay. it's largely a drawing and about eight words and a big line yes i would posit the theory that the sweet valley bible is not unlike the notes i took in the meeting i don't know <laughs> what any of this means
1: yeah so that's fair i mean it, it starts me i should probably feel a little more sympathetic for them on the other hand, they, it's a job, it is professional work for them, and they have a sweet valley Bible. On the other hand, as Dove has just so nicely pointed out, it's probably not a very detailed Bible. Well, Michael so Brown said it was crap. The maybe I should cut the ghostwriters a little bit more slack at this point.
0: Well, I personally, I mean, the book that I'm recapping at the moment, um, there is lots and lots of continuity errors, and characters are given roles in the book which make no sense to the, 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 the characters that we've, we've had throughout the series um but so i have no sympathy i have no sympathy at all because whereas i don't mind things like um i can sort of understand when it's the fourth valentine's day or oh it's christmas again that is a broad swathe but the actual smaller details stuff like for example um in this book amy is an athlete all of a sudden and that's like, well, no, 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 no. She's never been an athlete in any of the other books. And we're at a stage now, if you want an athlete character, you can choose someone, you could choose Belinda Layton because we have that character in the series. Um. So I do think that I, I'm, I'm all for, no, I'm sorry, if you get it wrong, you can fuck off. That's wrong. However, I do admit that my memory... <laughs> I'm getting old. My memory is getting really, really bad now, and I will constantly, when I'm recapping, turn to uh, turn to Dove and say, "Who's this character again? Who, who's this? Have we seen this person before?" And Dove will be like, "Yeah, that's Stephen. That's the brother."
2: <laughs> <I'm> like, oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Okay.
0: It really is that bad. So while I'm I'm not sympathetic to when they write it, I, I will admit that I would be in a similar boat if I was to write it.
2: I mean, I'd be
1: I terrific it, as a ghostwriter.
0: You would be an <laughs> amazing
1: <suppose>. ghostwriter. <laughs> I would do the work uh, if I had to. But on the other hand, like, the whole idea of this is that you don't... If the idea is that you don't have to have read everything else, then mm-hmm. continuity being a focus is not necessarily important. Even in something like Amy is or is not an athlete. And listeners, I am heroically not diving into that argument that she's on the booster, she is a fucking athlete. I'm not going to go down that side trade because we've done that too much this time yeah that my, my comment so, will make
0: more sense if you when you read the the book that no i'm sure read, i'm read sure course. which is
1: i'm doing after this uh recording so i do wonder when you come in so if you come in and say in this book the big party weekend that we're you know allegedly, allegedly. talking about <laughs> <laughs> uh it, the the siblings, while there's some arguing in there, they really are a team. So if you read this book and this is your first introduction to Sweet Valley, and then you read a book where they're all they do is argue or another one of the prank wars or something. And Dove, you read them out of order when you were younger, right? Like you didn't have all of them. You just read in different pieces, is that correct? Um, largely.
2: Uh I started okay. off with uh, obviously I'm not going through
1: everyone because
2: uh but I started off with book three. And then I bought the bumper book, which had the first four in it. And then I just kind of bought whatever seemed interesting at the time. And then a friend managed to buy the first 30 secondhand. And so I just borrowed from her. And eventually she got bored of that and sold them to me for 50 quid, making a tidy fucking profit. 50 quid is a lot of pennies when you're 12. Yeah.
1: But so you weren't reading them like you wouldn't have read 3 and then 40 and then 2 and then 15 or anything like that. It was slightly well, more in order. I think
2: when I was um when I was buying them it it was the Grapplegate era and I think we can all agree that the Grapplegate books are the most exciting. So I was for the most part um buying them vaguely in order so okay. I was reading the Grapplegate right so i'm just trying to think i definitely remember sort of buying jessica's secret and then the one after it and then you know uh maybe so that would have been 42 and 43 and then jumping to 50 so i wasn't making a huge jump.
1: okay so where i was going with it and i was just curious as to how your jumps had been So a lot of times with books like these, when I was younger, I would run into them in the library. So I might be making a jump where I had access to uh, book number 20, and then I'd access to book number three, and then I'd access to book number 55. So I wonder, uh, and with stuff like Nancy Drew, it worked. Like it was each mystery is so self-contained that even if the overall you get the smaller details of characterization because the focus is always so much on the mystery versus the characters themselves that really worked. But I am wondering in Sweet Valley, if the if it's supposed to be turning on the Sweet Valley twins and friends. And so you come in a big party weekend and the twins and Steven team up, but it's great. And then you read uh, some sort of prank war one. Does that feel or does that change how you look at... The characters, or does it make it harder to get into the series, or are these people just taking the books individually, so it feels less like a series and more like just here reoccurring characters that it that everything's disconnected? Because it's hard for me to figure that out because we have read everything in order for several years now.
2: Well, i I kind of viewed it because I was twelve and didn't have the internet, um, kind of like making out, you know, because I didn't read that in order as well. And so if anything was wildly different, I just assumed that it must have happened in a book I didn't read. So to use my favorite continuity example, which I didn't actually experience as a child, if I read the book where Melissa's mum picked her up from the dairy burger, and I definitely read um, the book where Melissa's mum died, I would assume... Because I thought Jamie Suzanne was one person, I really didn't understand ghostwriting. I was very <laughs> naive. I thought, you know, she must have had a reason. And I think my brain would just go, oh, maybe it means stepmom. Maybe he mm. got married in a book I haven't read yet. Because also getting the full list of books wasn't very easy because okay. um, quite often in the front of the book – um. You know, if you're on a low number, it will list everything up to the number you've got to. But if you're on a high number, it might just list the first 50 books for space. So I just literally assumed, like, if something wasn't right, I missed something somewhere. And it was only when I sort of got all the books up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. And I knew the title of those that were missing. I could go, well, I don't actually think that's right and even then i just kind of shrugged it off because i was very much accustomed to things not making sense and i just kind of went right it's probably my problem so um you know hence all the bitterness now i'm an adult it's like right now i
1: know the truth i'm gonna beat people up over the internet over it so two thoughts on that one the briefer one so you say that about sweet valley and i was the second you said that the it was hard to find lists of the actual titles I immediately wondered if the Babysitter's Club was the same, uh, because obviously that's, as I think Dove has said before, you're really either a Sweet Valley person or a Babysitter's Club person when you're younger. And I was definitely Babysitter's Club. So I pulled a book, and listeners, I pulled number 118, so very far into the series. And it has, on the inside of the front cover and the back cover, it lists not only all of the... 118 books of the main series plus 119 so the next book it then lists all the super specials all the mysteries all the super mysteries all the reader's requests of the portrait collection so basically there is 150 plus books that they've managed to list in this damn book that is not that big so you know what sweet valley that is just a fail on your part you should have been far more creative <laughs>
2: Well, I've just pulled out 68 and it has got the full list, uh, including this one, although it doesn't have the specials. That's th- interesting. Then it takes time to list
1: Sweet Valley High and Sweet Valley Kids. We'll see, there's a list for you. But uh, the other thing I would say is if, as I was asking about, I was just thinking that it's kind of weird to come into the Sweet Valley Twins books and maybe see very different characterization. And then I can understand your idea that, oh, well, it must have happened in a book that I didn't read, which is totally fair. Doing that with Making Out would be such a weird thing. Because as we've been recapping it, it really has no individual book plot. Like, it is really all one story that's just split across books. The very least, Sweet Valley Twins, like, the party of this big party weekend takes place Within this book, we have a rising action and a climax and falling action. Like, the story is complete. It is a book that can begin and end, unlike something like Making Out. So at least we have that going for us, where they are self-contained books, even if, you know, they lack continuity and they lack sometimes internal logic or any sort of internal consistency, which I am much more judgmental about. Uh, so there is that, at least. Okay,
2: getting back to the book, I would like to talk about how much I actually enjoyed the twins and Stephen's relationship. It was fucking <gasps> healthy what? in this book. <laughs> Fair, just Tell us more. Just going to show that what the entire world needs to get along is like an alien overlord, so that we can <laughs> hate someone together, A common enemy. Exactly. Oh,
0: precious. I mean, it surprises me that the. Uh... The twins don't see Stephen as the common enemy more often.
2: Yeah, well, they do sometimes, That's don't they? But fair. they, you know, other books they don't. But hmm. in this one, it was actually quite delightful because May was super strict, like ridiculously so, to the point Comically where it didn't. Strict. Yeah, well, the fact that she was just like, oh, you're going to eat broccoli and spinach casserole for dinner, and with no regard for whether they like that or, and, you know, Okay, yes, that's healthy, but it's also the way she's so rude about it. And it's, I'm sure some people, probably Raven, would love a broccoli and spinach casserole because some people yeah. are fucking weird. I but think even, I'd like it too, but. <laughs> but imagine it, but it's kind of pitched as if that's the only meal you could, like, that's the only option. Right. when Jessica's like, oh, well, can I get a salad because I don't like this? She's like, no, you will not waste food. You will eat the thing that you don't like. And it's just like, dude, it's her house. Like, you've already said no to cookies, which, you know, okay, that's not okay. But it, it kind of is, you know, it's less bad. But actively saying, no, you can't have another healthy meal instead of the one you don't like. Maybe ask them if they like spinach and broccoli casserole before insisting that that's what they get or nothing at all. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So while I definitely agree that she comes in with her own set and doesn't actually modify how she apparently babysits with the people she's babysitting for, the idea of not of having to eat what's put in front of you or not eat at all, that is something that's much more common or at least was in media uh and in, in people I know in the 80s and 90s. Whereas it wasn't like you couldn't go make a sandwich. It was you eat this or you eat nothing. And some of that is, you know, strict dietary things from some parents. And some of it is just being poor. We're not going to waste this food. Uh, But yeah, like that never even clocked to me as something weird. Yes, it's weird that she's forcing them to eat these things that she has no idea if they like or not. And is not following any sort of structure that may or may not have been provided by Alice and Ned, which was not provided. I'm very, very certain (laughs) but theoretically could have been. But yeah, the idea that she can't go make a sandwich when she already has dinner in front of her, that did not clock as anything weird to me. Well, she actually said she was going to make a salad, so it's,
2: you know... Okay, well, even then... Like I the, just want to highlight, like, the, the salad is obviously healthier
1: than the, the sandwich. Just... Just so that nobody's thinking, well, well you know, you can logic that this bread is not necessarily true. But even okay, so here's option A, and then I want to go make something else. A B. The idea of not doing that—you already have dinner in front of you. You eat this or nothing. Did not come across as weird at all, it's just based on the cultural norms uh, at the time in the USA. So yeah, that it surprises me that it that it did to you. Was that something that you could have done? Well, I'd have been. On a personal note,
2: if someone had attempted to babysit me at their age, which they didn't, as I've explained many times, I was left home alone. Um, But if they had, and if, for example, I was under the impression I was having spaghetti bolognese for dinner, and then someone spent my mum's money buying food I didn't like and made something I didn't like, and I said, well, can I at least go make something I like? I'd be furious. I'd just be like, well, who the fuck are you? Like, my mum doesn't parent me. You're sure as hell not going to. And the twins are exactly the same. They're not parented. Why should they be parented now?
1: Mm, That's, I mean they're not actually parented as we look at them as readers, but within the series, they absolutely feel parented. In fact, Jessica often rails against the, the quote unquote strict parenting they receive and they can't do stuff because of their youth. They think that they're parented. So that's a, uh, doesn't actually work. I don't think.
2: May also had them getting up at five thirty in the morning um, to do their homework because she was making them do chores when they got home. And I'm just like, who the fuck restructures a 12 year old's day like that like you know i can guarantee having read a load of books that even elizabeth will begrudge getting up at five thirty to do her homework. oh yeah but no, jessica won't even function like let her do it at 8 p.m <laughs> she'll get sure it done if she's going
1: to Right. She's not. No, I think and I think that's a fair point. I don't think that coming in and and decrying this is what you have to eat because this is what I say is good for you is how to go about that. But yeah, just the concept of you're given something either by a parent or a babysitter or whatever, you're given food A and then you, you don't have a choice to go get food B. That didn't throw me at all. Yeah, her coming in and be like, no, no, you need structure. So here's what I'm going to do to you for the week or whatever I'm here because that's certainly going to change your life. That was weird. The
0: whole thing with the you've got to eat what's put in front of you, or you eat nothing at all. Um, I think to me that it came across very much as a over the top, strict sort of uh, comedy response, comedy thing. It's it's been that that's the sort of thing that in reality or in the so said the UK reality isn't really used, really other than in a scene like this where you're showing somebody to be an absolute dominant domineering prick. It's huh. like you'll eat that or nothing at all. That is that's not a that's not a positive thing. That's not what a, a good parent will do to a wayward child I you do an air quotes there. That is it's 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 viewed as far as I can tell and as far as I can remember as something that is the last resort of somebody who's at the end of their tether, if you like, with, with an argumentative child. And yeah. it's, not, it's not viewed as the correct response to somebody not refusing to eat, to a child refusing to eat. Right. And also, with mate being presented as she is, that, that strictness with you will eat this broccoli casserole or you will eat nothing, The fact that it's broccoli and spinach is a pointer to us to make us think that her viewpoint is over the top and wrong. Because if she'd have just came and said, we're having meatloaf, and they'd have went, oh, we don't like meatloaf. That would have put the onus on them, liking something which is, on the face of it, a perfectly good meal. Whereas broccoli and spinach are the comedy vegetables that the kids don't eat. You know what I mean?
1: Fair. No, that is Fair. And looking at it like this i can absolutely like in the context of everything else she's doing i think you're right i can see how they're using that as this writing her up as this over-the-top person but yeah i would never would have thought that uh just that on its own
2: i wanted to put in that um you know raven and i both didn't grow up in an abundance of wealth either but the wakefields are quite privileged and that's sort of my viewpoint like mm. they have that luxury of if like of going, no, I'm not eating that. I'm going to bin it. You know, because um, my mum did say things like, if you if you're not eating that, then you're not eating anything. But she would also let me leave bits. Like it was more a case of, no, this is what I've made for dinner. I'm not making anything else and you're not going to have a snack afterwards like there is nothing wrong with boiled potatoes because when I was a kid I had a real beef with boiled potatoes I didn't like the skin someone told me if you ate the skin you got cancer and then my dad got cancer so um you know there was a correlation in in my stupid brain and I was not liking them and so I would just not eat the boiled potatoes uh but I'd eat whatever else was on my plate and if I said I was hungry later she'd be like well you should have had the potato shouldn't you and that's not like you know for all that my mother has not done great that's perfectly fine and also she didn't know that I was scared of eating the skin because I might get cancer how could she know
1: but how is that different from this idea that okay so I've made you casserole uh, you have to eat it you don't get to make a salad versus you don't i've made this and you don't have to eat the potatoes but you also can't go make a salad or have a snack or something how is that different
2: what i'm saying is they had more money
1: they right. had that
2: luxury whereas it was more a case of my mum was like mm. you know this is this is what i've budgeted this is what i've made for tea i'm sure craig's mum was pragmatically the same i will say now um eating at my at my house was never a problem
0: uh, I I am a gourmand, I will literally eat whatever you put in front of me broccoli and spinach <laughs> casserole, yeah blah, blah, blah. the issue with me is, I'd like some more please, we haven't That's got fair- any more you know, it's like uh, yes, there's nothing else to eat and so you're not eating anything <laughs> That's that way, rather than the other way around I mean, there was nothing I wouldn't try and there's nothing to a certain extent that I don't like um, but on the other hand, the other side of it would go shopping with my mum and I'd be like, oh mum um Can we have some? You know, she she'd be doing the big shot for the week, and how that affect how the shall we say lack of wealth affected me was that I'd say to me mum, oh mum, yogurts, ski strawberry yogurts. So I really like them. Can we get some yogurts? And my mum would go, no, we're not getting any of them. And I'd say, oh, why not? And she'd say, because you'd eat them. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we can't get them. You're just going to eat them. I'm like, I mean, yeah, yes, that's the point, mother. Yes. Now, what she meant. Um, was that we'd go home, and that evening I would sit and eat four yogurts.
2: I that's what
0: she meant, but it always made me laugh. that it was like, You can't have that, you're going to eat that. Yes, mother, it's food. What, what, what else would I do with
1: that? <laughs> um,
0: so yeah, so we, we, the problem that we had now is as we came at it from the other side, shall we say,
1: right? I, and I get that, uh, going back to doves point of view on the you know, wayfields have more money but that's i mean the portis was just one side of that uh of the you know eat whatever's put in front of you another big thing you heard a lot at the time was there kids starving in kids africa, africa. india or africa, africa. africa. So, so you eat what's in front of you and and then there's there's different from that like you eat only what i've made i'm not making That not being ideal parenting at the time in the UK is interesting to me because over here at the time, uh, at least where I grew up and and most of the places I'd been, which was most of the US at that point, I had traveled a lot thanks to my father's job. Uh, The idea, if you were making separate meals or letting your kids go choose to eat something else than what you made, that was seen as very lax improper parenting like kind of that the kids were all over them or you can't control your kids or you know the mom that gives in and makes you know five different meals and then that compared to uh you eat what i give you versus you eat and you eat everything on the plate because you can't waste it and that often was tied to to the wealth of the family because ostrich grew up also very, very poor uh when he was younger, and that's the thing that he still struggles with today that idea that he has to eat everything that's put in front of him, whether he likes it or not, uh whether he's full or not, so it's I guess these things you know stick with us, and I love how and I think I've said this in earlier podcasts, which at this point would be several years ago, so it doesn't matter. I love how our different perspectives uh and where we come from out of our childhood it impacts what we bring to this because you say while her requiring them to eat this casserole is just a part of this over-the-top presentation of her as this terrible babysitter. And as soon as you say that, I can see it. But at the time, the stuff like switching their schedule and not allowing this or telling them that or refusing the phone all of that felt very over the top but the food there was like oh yeah no that's totally normal and then hearing you guys talk about it like oh right maybe that's (laughs) not actually totally normal this is a part of that she is the villain neon sign that they're flashing at us so i do love when we kind of come at stuff from that perspective or different perspectives
2: well it's also the lack of uh negotiation available because it feels like there wasn't anything like it was just a veggie casserole and these, these kids are omnivores and Stephen literally never stops eating. So, you know, if, if it had been like, I've made, you know, chicken very healthy uh, and some veggies and a salad or whatever, they probably wouldn't have responded so badly, but it's like, you are just having like a spinach casserole and, um, and it's the fact that like she didn't ask whether they like it and then just assumed that they were rude or badly brought up because they they weren't going to eat it and it's there was no negotiation it wasn't like oh okay you don't like spinach because it's actually established that in middle school gets married that elizabeth hates spinach um so you know, there was no negotiation at all. It was just like, you eat this or... The idea that I there eat. should
1: be negotiation yeah. over food is I mean, so weird to what me, what, just um... that as a concept, like negotiating over food. As an adult, yes, I have things I won't eat. Uh, But yeah, the idea of negotiating over food is kind of mind-blowing to me. I do have kind of a weird little side question. Would casserole not be the entire meal for you guys? Like, that would be a meal unto itself uh, for me. Like, ca- you wouldn't have to have various other options it be casserole as a complete food well
2: i'm not really sure what a casserole is isn't it usually no. like some kind of this stew explains a I lot <laughs> yeah that's, that, that's
0: that's what casserole is in this country
2: right okay because like in the case of casserole as i understand it it's some kind of stew and usually it has a meat or a meat substitute um as well as veggies you know so that there's Various textures and flavours And the idea that this is nothing but Spinach and broccoli
1: Doesn't Uh, give it a lot of range of taste It's very much No, uh, so a casserole is more like So I'm going to say it it would be more like something that you would call a pasta bake, maybe. And so it does tend to have meat in it a lot of places, but vegetarian casseroles uh, are a thing, too. So you'd have the spinach and the broccoli, but you'd also generally have cheese or some sort of cheese substitute, though at this point in time, the book's published, probably cheese. Uh, Other vegetables, maybe some cream of broccoli or various uh that, that kind of cream of soup style things to it often a potato like hash browns you see a lot of them or tater tots in it and then usually something over the top that will give it kind of a crunchy crust so it is not just you know this soup <laughs> of broccoli and spinach so that actually makes a lot more sense to me if the, if you're picturing something that's very much just maybe would be a side otherwise
2: Yeah, because that's how I was sort of, like, viewing it. Like, because Mm. no meat was mentioned. So I'm like, is this just – because I could understand that. If I came home from school and someone was like, yeah, here's some iron soup. Enjoy that. I'd be (laughs) –
1: Fair enough on that. That actually, yeah, makes a lot more sense to me now.
2: (laughs) Oh, so we've just had a big argument over the cultural misunderstanding of what a casserole is. Well,
1: no, I still (laughs) think that – I still like the conversation about what cultural norms are around food and everything, but yes, possibly this was all kicked off because our reactions were coming at it from different points because uh, we have different ideas of what a casserole is. Yes.
0: (laughs) I will say there is, I mean, going back to what I was saying about the the cultural norms, being, you know, the the thing of, well, you'll eat that or you'll eat nothing um, being a sign of bad, bad parenting. That is a little bit of an oversimplification on my part. I mean, there was a huge, there was a huge drive. um, I think this must have been the late nineties, where Gordon Ramsay was doing the "Let's Feed Kids Properly," because there was um, he he had a war against the Turkey Twizzler.
2: No, that's um, it's not Gordon Ramsay. It's Jamie Oliver.
0: Oh, beg your pardon. That was Jamie Oliver. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, let's go back. It wasn't. You're right. It was Jamie Oliver, the other odd celebrity chef and that was a case of it was a way to there was a whole drive it, it, what he was doing was trying to get schools to serve healthier meals and also trying to educate parents to feed their kids healthy meals rather than convenience meals like turkey shapes or okay. you, know, you know chicken g- nuggets, g- nuggets and th- chips chicken nuggets okay. and, you know and stuff like that and it was more teaching the parents to have the backbone, if you like, to say no to their kids who say, All I want is a turkey twist or okay. well, all I, all I want because at the extreme of that you do get kids who will eat nothing but hula hoops and beans. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You know what you I mean? what, what all you will eat, I'll only eat this one thing. I'll eat I'll eat Pringles, I'm not eating anything else. And having the parents sort of acquiesce to that was seen as bad. It is bad. Right, yeah. it's more about giving the, 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 the parents more ammunition than, well, you eat this or you eat nothing at all. Right. Which demonstrably hasn't worked in the past for those parents. That's fair. But on the other side of it, you'd have absolute asshat parents who when Jamie Oliver was going into schools and giving them gourmet food, would go, oh, the kids don't like that, and would rock up to
2: the actual school gates and be passing McDonald's burgers to the kids yeah. through the bars. There's actually a a very good Carl Smallwood uh, video on YouTube about that. So, recommendation readers. And also, he notes in the beginning of the video that actually that was kind of a seminal moment for him because he didn't actually realise that turkey twizzlers were all that bad because he was, you know young and he was like right you know not educated and he actually did lose a significant amount of weight um, interesting you know so it did work but it's a very interesting video so go watch carl smallwood he's awesome
1: i so i wish sister canary was here because she, i feel like jamie oliver and probably that program itself though i don't remember any of that kind of stuff uh from the 80s and 90s possibly because i have no interest in food or cooking uh i feel like some of that led into some really uh, harmful fat shaming of children i swear sister canary has talked about this before i'm gonna to have to go back through that that uh, may that may well be the case that may have been one of his right you know, shall we say one of the um
2: one of the
0: arrows in his armory for good right. or I, don't, I don't want to put judgment um, on, on no, no, on that, on, on that at all. But yeah, that may have been something. But that,
2: there is a reason why Mark Lamar refers to him as a fat-tongued cunt. So you know, yes, yeah. he's a prick. I don't like Jamie Oliver.
1: The other thing I want to say is that as we talk about all of this, I do just want to make it clear because I know some of our listeners, at least, are parents. Um i'm totally not judging however you decide to parent i am not a parent i do not want to be a parent i have no concept of how to parent this is not saying that if you choose any of these options or any others that you're a bad parent not a criticism of parenting just a conversation about the cultural background we bring to these books so yes if i've come across as judgmental on that i'm very sorry listeners not my intention likewise same same here but also the
2: only parent we think is a shit parent is well
1: actually both of them alice and ned They're Terrible. well to be fair <laughs> every adult in sweet valley parent or not is terrible but yes that's they are the parents that we mostly hate so oh yes.
2: mrs bramble we like her you know the one that oh, owns fair. Salad. okay yeah we liked her. Maybe, fair maybe enough maybe maybe once they're elderly they're more reasonable <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> Matu- maturity takes a while but yeah to go back to the original topic i actually did like the way that the twins and steven banded against her because um, it was quite delightful seeing um, Jessica and Stephen Snark. I liked um, I liked the low-key pranks. You know, they were reasonable, like really basic stuff. Like, oh, what's that? And then while May goes to look, he th- uh, Stephen throws his, his dinner out the window because he doesn't want to eat it. Like, that's fine, you know. And um, the way they get May out of the house is that Stephen pretends to run away he does a load of things to provoke May to shout at him like he has cookies and he makes a mess and he leaves stuff on the floor and and eventually she just shouts at him and so he puts on his trainers and fucks off and then Elizabeth and Jessica stand there like the creepy twins they are going oh it it probably won't be that bad I mean last time he ran away he was only gone for three days it was actually (laughs) quite charming and it was. I bet it worked better because they're creepy twins. going to
1: say, <laughs> we think of creepy twins. Often people think of that image from The Shining with the twins of the blood. Yeah. But now from any time I hear the phrase creepy twins, I'm going to picture them standing there just going, I'm sure our brother will survive. It'll be fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and on that note, that might be a good segue to get us into Bleak Valley.
1: Excellent. <laughs> This is the bit I'm totally not prepped for. Yeah, me too. And yet I remember we say that every time and every time you guys come up with something brilliant. So <laughs> it may have been years since we podcasted, but that part I remembered.
2: You know what? I, I think this actually doesn't lend itself well to Bleak Valley. This is one okay. of the few that doesn't. Because if Elizabeth is trapped in a cupboard, you know, Not interacting with the world and May is meant to be the enemy, then why isn't May worse? Because, you know, Bleak Elizabeth's parents are not making her eat spinach and broccoli casserole. They're off their tits on meth.
1: So, in the Bleak Valley that exists where Elizabeth is imagining what happens in Sweet Valley, yes, she is going through so much worse. But again, I can see this going to Bleak Valley because. Meg gets a redemption arc. She starts out as this very controlling person who is, is not only controlling the time and what she has to eat, what Elizabeth has to eat and all of these things. As she then is an arc that drives Elizabeth and these imaginary siblings closer. They get to have this bonding experience, but then she comes back and saves them. And at the core of it, that always seems to be what Bleak Valley Elizabeth wants is for someone, even someone who is terrible to have a redemption arc and come back and then save her. So I can absolutely see that this is a part of that. Whereas there's this terrible maid, even if the stuff that May's doing compared to what happens to Bleak Valley isn't terrible. Obviously Bleak Valley Elizabeth isn't going to, put those things into her sweet valley the fact that may is terrible and then becomes better uh, is an important part of bleak valley elizabeth trying to escape bleak valley
2: academically i can totally follow wings logic there but emotionally i can't buy it because i found some stories that i wrote when i was 12 and the parents were absolutely abusive but they were not supposed to be when i wrote it and then they stopped oh. doing one of the abusive things and everything was fine and looking at it as an adult i was like fuck i'm disturbed
1: but i didn't know that was wrong you know i don't know if disturbed is the word i would use there uh drawing from a perspective that should not have been happening to you yes
2: <laughs> but that's what i'm saying elizabeth lacks the context no, that's fair. so In theory, her brain should say, yes, May could, for example, slap them for misbehaving. Sure, But if she doesn't slap them again, she is better.
1: So I can see that logically, yes, except that any other bleak valley has not quite been that bleak when we're talking about from elizabeth's perspective we True. do tend to take it even bleaker with <laughs> murder and drugs and etc but to be fair we do that with sweet valley too <laughs> but fair i can see your perspective
2: yes but i am for uh for the moment happy to accept that as the theory that you're right she does get a redemption arc so elizabeth wouldn't want to push her too far so.
1: But I mean, it, it would make more sense for it to be darker. I mean, the redemption arc and the saving would be even more impactful if she had been darker, slapping them or locking them away or whatever. So I can see your point too, that this could have been, I mean, within the Bleak Valley construct, this could have been a much darker story, and probably should have been with Elizabeth writing it. Uh, and then the the redemption arc does just feel a lot more, not earned, but a lot more powerful.
2: But maybe she she saw it on TV, uh, because that was quite a trope. I mean, I know she doesn't get to watch a lot of TV, but she's got to catch snippets here and there. And Right. There could well have been a, an episode of something where there was a stern babysitter, especially if it was something like Boy Meets World, something very harmless. Right. Because even Mr. Feeney's a bit scary in Boy Meets World. Like, when you're a child his sternness comes across as you know i don't want to get on his
1: bad side so maybe- i think i watched it at too old an age to really get that because i didn't watch it when it was first airing so maybe yeah, i can see your point with that though
2: yeah <laughs> so maybe she saw it on tv like something very boy meets world-esque very light that would have demonstrated like a bad babysitter that meant well rather than a genuinely bad human being in charge of children. Right. That's fair. So, how
0: about... Um, let's look at it this way. Elizabeth feels abandoned by her parents because, well, they're just basically drug-addled asshats. who have no time for her. So, their non-appearance in this show, in this story is very much her reaction to being abandoned. They've gone off to Mexico because they're no longer a part of her life. So the Mae Brown character could be someone that she's constructed as a surrogate parent who is there to save her. Oh. And is offering things like spinach casserole and a structured time and an overabundance of control because that's what she craves. She, she She's... She's got no interaction with anyone other than the parents being shitty to her. That controlled display of, shall we say, a brutal love might be something that she actually craves. However, the rebellion of the in-story, or the, the Jessica and the Elizabeth and the Stephen in her imagination could be the guilt that she's feeling for not loving her parents. Oh, Ooh. I like that. And we can sort of continue that with, even with the subplots, the, the rose could be her innocence and Jessica sells that off and it takes May to bring that, to get it back.
2: <laughs>
0: and even something like the first kiss that jessica is after that could be her desire for some sort of physical connection or even romance but that is overridden by the need for food <laughs> when she gets hit in the face with the bologna because obviously part of the first kiss is she gets a smack in the face right. with some bologna. and. That could be the bleak Elizabeth saying, no, what's more important than <laughs> the moment here is actual basic necessity. I need so, food. May's redemption arc could actually be a positive thing for her. In the, At the beginning of the story, May is presented to her as someone who will help her. But mm-hmm. she's rejecting that. But by the end of it, she's actually embracing that aspect of things.
1: I like that a lot. That's well done. I'm not prepared.
0: (laughs) Completely off the top of my head. What can you
1: say? (laughs) Yeah, well, you are good at that. Uh, So fair. I like this. uh, I like the options we have for Bleak Valley here. I really like that idea that the loss of innocence and then innocence regained. Because we could take that real fucking bleak in that uh, (laughs) Alice and Ned have now started selling her to Uh, but their drug habits (laughs) well
2: I was thinking that Alice and Ned (laughs) in Bleak Valley (laughs) have actually fucked off to Mexico to drug mule I mean we all uh, all joke about the Sweet Valley version but yeah Bleak Valley it's obvious Hmm. I also wondered if perhaps um, because we have speculated that Steven may exist but he's much older haven't we Mm, Mm -hmm. that he's supposed to check in and he's brought his girlfriend, who's actually quite a nice girl. Because we've also speculated that Stephen isn't actually the worst. Right. He's just not around. I know we've never really settled on whether or not he exists and all that kind of nonsense. But, you know, she could, you know, he could have one of those crunchy granola type uh, yoga girlfriends from you know, college or well, maybe community college i, I or even hmm. just
1: having met her because they're in California,
2: <laughs> that's a valid point, yeah, maybe they work together, like a smoothie shop or something, <laughs> and you know she's actually the influence, but again to to borrow heavily from Raven, she actually rejects it because you're not my mum, right, mm, yeah, I like that.
0: Okay, so suitably bleak there.
2: Yes. Okay, well, all that remains
0: is for us to rate this book. So we have five ratings. We have Stupendous, we have Good, we have Meh, we have Bad, and we have Kill It With Fire. So, uh, Dove, what did you think of
2: this book? I'm actually going to be generous about this. Maybe because we've been away for a while, maybe just because it's one of my nostalgic books, but I'm gonna give this a good. It's not stupendous, but it's better than meh. And I did actually appreciate when I came to reread it that Stephen wasn't being creepy. And sometimes the little things make a, a lot of difference. And I actually kind of like the way that the siblings all work together and you know, it it didn't suck. And at this you know, at the point where we are in actually physically writing the recaps, didn't suck, is almost at stupendous levels. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's like a unicorn. You don't see one very often outside of Sweet Valley Medal, no, obviously. Valley. Club. <laughs> yeah, so I'm giving it a good. Fantastic. Excellent.
0: Thank you very much. Wink?
1: I'm going to give it a meh in that it's fine. I'm going to treat meh as fine this time, which I know I don't always do. Uh, in the Reading back through the recap, my response then was like, it was fine. It was just boring. And I like it more now than I did then, but I, it's still just middle of the road. Like it was fine. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed in discussing it again. I did enjoy how the siblings banded together, especially having read future books where Stephen has become this, this, thing that we all mostly hate it was nice to see back here where he wasn't like that but the story itself was eh, it was fine
0: uh i'm gonna wax and weigh in on this one a little bit i think i'm gonna give it a good overall but i'm gonna give it a low good because we used to do that and maybe we to yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah so i'm gonna give it a low good i think that i've enjoyed podcasting it a lot i enjoyed recapping it more than i think i enjoyed reading it back in the day Fair. And obviously we haven't podcasted for two and a half years, so maybe the good rating is slightly inflated because I've enjoyed this process more than I've enjoyed the actual book itself. But let's be positive for once and let's go for good. <laughs> By the time we get to the books we're on now, then this is a shining example of a great piece of work true
2: fair enough <laughs> i think we're actually by the time we get to nightmare mansion we're gonna need to invent a new category
1: <laughs> i don't know i have not gotten to use kill it with fire nearly enough so perhaps <laughs> it will be fine
2: yeah
0: i can imagine there's going to be a lot more flames in the future oh, i'm looking forward to that
2: yeah
1: in a certain extent
0: <laughs> okay that about wraps everything up for this week uh thank you very much for listening Um, if you're an an old fan thank you for coming back after a two and a half year hiatus if you're a new fan fantastic go and listen to the back catalogue and the future catalogue will be along very very soon (laughs) so I'm Raven it's been fun and thank you see you guys yes thank you you've been listening to the Sweet Valley Online podcast on Book 54 The Big Party Weekend recorded on the 18th of April 2021 you can access all our past recaps and podcasts at sweetvalley.online a member of NostalgicBookshelf.com Check us out on Facebook.com forward slash Valley Online. Our music is supplied by Stuart Taylor. You can be contacted at TaylorStewart602 at gmail.com for all your own musical needs. You can be found on Twitter under Sweet Valley underscore Devil's Elbow Pod and Bookshelf underscore Raven. Next week we'll be talking about Sweet Valley Twins Super Edition number 4. The Unicorns Go Hawaiian. Be sure to join us then. Until next time, may your second first kiss remain uninterrupted by flying below me to the face.